Shut up and sit down. Hi, and welcome to Outrageous, our bi-weekly podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friend, Trisha in LA. Hello. Hello. That's very sultry. Very sultry this morning. Now, you are sick. Get ready, everyone. If you want to know what it sounds like for a woman to be coughing for one full hour, get ready. You're in the right podcast. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. I stopped packing up a lung a while ago. Just barely. Were you sick through uh, Christmas? You know what? I wasn't. Viruses are strange things, right? That's a deep cut, Trish. You know why? You know why? Yes, viruses are strange things. You know what? Because I'm I'm at Christmas. I'm feeling fine. I'm having a great time. Two days after Christmas, my throat starts to burn like a thousand suns. And I'm like, no, what's going on? And next thing I know, I can't swallow very much. And sore throat, achy body, and it's on. You were with family, right? All those family germs. That's the thing. Everyone is perfectly fit and vim- and showing vim and vigor, as we say. Um, but, you know, it's... I know, Jamaicans. <laughs> we got ahead of ourselves. First of all, Happy New Year, everyone! Oh, yay! Happy New Year! Happy New Year! 2017 is over. Thank God. I just know 2018 will be way better. Don't you think? Everything's just coming up roses. I think so, too. I think we're all going to experience the wonderful things that 2017 planted. See, I was being sarcastic, but I I sense that you're being, (laughs) since you're being real. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't have... I I don't have high hopes for the year. Does that sound terrible? On day one? I don't have... It's day one. Let's keep the optimism going. (laughs) My gosh. Keep it going. America, this is where I am on day one. All right. I, mean, this is I don't where know I am. what to look like for you on day 30. No, day 30, forget it. I'm in a coffin. <laughs> Hopefully. Oh my God, let's not say that. <laughs> Why do I people mean, always like, oh, let's not say that? You know, if my words had that much power, if I could just talk things into existence, oh, fuck. I'm a lot of by now. Do you know what? I'm not even kidding because I just learned about this new phenomenon called swatting. Did you, did you know about that? How did you just learn about swatting? Can you talk Listen, about what swatting is? is I'm for, the, for the four other people who have not heard about this? Listen, the audience is going to be just as surprised as I am. So audience, I'm going to need you to weigh in because this happened. This was a thing like three years ago. But go ahead. Well, apparently swatting is when you, when an individual calls the police to show up under the guise that a crime is happening there. Like the SWAT team. The SWAT, specifically the SWAT team, actually. It used to be that young people would call in like a bomb threat or a terrorist threat or something to their friend's house. And then their friend would, their friend would experience what it's like to have their house invaded by the SWAT team and taken into custody. This became a thing with online gamers who would like video link themselves like we are right now. And then watch it unfold. And then watch it happen as they burst in. I have questions. First, how did you just come across this just now when no one's talking about it anymore? (laughs) Oh, oh, you know what? You, you, you were not following the news as the new New year because somebody recently died as a result of swatting. I think it was recently two, two or three days ago, a, a gamer swatted and caused an innocent man to open his door and a cops to shoot him in the chest or shoot him dead. A black guy? 
Yes. Oh, oh, oh. So I think what's so intriguing about this, first and foremost, is the idea that you would like a SWAT team to storm your friend's house. Height of privilege, I would assume. Given what we now know about sort of law enforcement and how things play out, that's a risky move. So these must have been young white kids, right? Who are doing this sort of thing to each other? Yeah. I mean, the fact that there were in a string of deaths probably shows you that these people were white. If, SWAT, if black people were being swatted, then they'd be killed like this person was, you're telling me, a couple of days ago. Well, actually, unfortunately, I think what's going to happen now is the person who um, performed the SWAT, which is, did the call, has been has been arrested. It was in Los well, Angeles. Yeah. What? Of course, they've been arrested. They should go to jail. You- well, well, well. This is interesting. Who do you think should be? Who do you think should be charged? Both the cop who did it because the person had no um, weapons. So basically, yes. it was just another yes. one. It was another unarmed shooting. You are always called upon to do your job correctly, whether or not. There's an actual threat. Your job function is to handle threats should they arise and not just walk into places and shoot people dead. It was kind of amazing. I was like, wow. Like, I tell you, TV shows do not give you the real deal. Because I was taught by SVU, Law and Order SVU, honey, that when you call in a SWAT team, there's usually a negotiator as well. And so there's all this kind of back and forth. Doesn't seem like there was much back and forth because, I mean, just think about it. A random tip tells you that something massive is happening, hostages, family. I think what the, the, the story was, the guy said the person at that house had killed his parents, killed his siblings, and was armed. But you don't confirm it. Like, how do you enter a space without knowing exactly what's going on, even for your own safety? Flip this around. Let's say you're at home and someone breaks up the gun and he's clearly tweaked out with on something, and he's threatening your life. Your neighbor calls the police. How much confirmation do you want the team that responds to do before they come save your life? Listen, I want you know them to. Com- I want them to come, and obviously, I want some sort of situational assessment because that's exactly what happened when people call in because maybe their child is experiencing um, an emotional break or um, an episode. Like you have to figure out what the threat is. It seems like both sides are operating blind in that moment. It may not be vo- in vogue to sympathize with the police and law enforcement, but sure. yeah, they, that job is like, you get a call. You know, my boyfriend is beating me. He has a gun. He's been drinking. He has an anger problem. And you show up to that house, you know, and you've got your own family and kids to think about. I mean, I wouldn't do it. I'll tell you that much. I'm not, I'm not showing up for that. I cannot believe you did not know about a recent case of swatting. But Well, I, I need to keep up with swatting, apparently. I need to keep I up know. with what is going on in the, the hot world of swatting. You know, it sounds like it should be something else. Like what? It just, sound, it just sounds like it should be something else. I don't know. I'll leave it there. How was your holiday? It was fine. I didn't go anywhere. I stayed in New York. I mean, you basically froze your great. tail off because that's all I've been I, reading. There's a cold snap happening over here. I spent Christmas with friends. It was a really great time. I saw the Radio City Music Hall Rockettes. How many black people uh, are there? One. See, I, there's so many of them. I don't know if there's multiple teams that are coming out. So it might have been two of them because there were a lot of costume changes. So maybe there were two teams. I don't know how it works. If you've never seen the Rockettes, it sounds like a really super cheesy thing. It totally is. But wow. I mean, there's nothing like a kick line. It just looked great. It looked really great. Rockettes, I'd recommend it. I do not recommend Radio City Music Hall because every single person who worked there was rude. Wow. 
Oh, that's brutal, brutal. That's what happens when you work with tourists the whole time. I know, though. So let's jump into some topics. I have been thinking a lot about Erica Garner, who was the 27-year-old woman. She was the daughter of Eric Garner, black everyman, who was strangled to death by police officers as he would try to sell loose cigarettes, which apparently is a federal crime punishable by execution. After her father died, she became an activist, but she entered a coma brought on tragically uh, and ironically by an asthma attack a couple of weeks ago when she finally died on December 30th. She's 27 years old. She leaves behind two kids, one who is four months old. It just hit me in this place. I was so sad, just really overwhelmed. And it got me thinking about just how difficult it is to be black in America. Like there is an experience of being worn down and that experience is literally, can literally kill people. And I know people are going to say, well, maybe she was sick. Maybe she was ill. Maybe this, maybe that. There is a problem with black female mortality. Black women who give birth, are they're more likely to die in childbirth, three to four times more likely to die in childbirth than white women, anywhere from birth to a year after they give birth. A lot of that is socioeconomic and class. But what they find is that when they control for those things, that black women still die, still die with greater frequency than white women. What they conclude is that it's literally racism that is killing black people, which is terrifying. Like it's an actual boogeyman that will get you. I mean, it's much more tragic when you say it like it's black women specifically. Listen. Do you know what I mean? Because (laughs) I read read the the pieces um, about black mortality rate for mothers. And I've been reading it, reading them throughout the summer, to be honest. And I just haven't figured out, I've been, I've been reluctant to talk about it because it's like a death sentence really on some level. Mm. Because even in New York, in New York City, now this is an urban, urban Mecca, right? So mm. 12 times more likely, 12 times more likely in New York City, black women are to die. In childbirth. Or in childbirth or afterwards, or like a year out. So in some ways, what you have to do is you have to monitor Black women throughout their pregnancy and a full year out to make sure they're make sure we're okay. Which is what white women can do because they have better access to healthcare. In in general, in general, you know, because of socioeconomic status, white women have better access to healthcare than Black women. Black women, but you know, but that's not even the case. But think about it. Think, what, the part of it that you said that was so startling to me because I kept looking when I was first when I first encountered this, I kept looking for the usual suspect, right? Socioeconomic status. But once you control for that, yeah, even still. once you could even still like once you control for that in the sense that. This is also happening to wealthy or somewhat okay black women too, because I, the mm-hmm. a couple pieces I read it happened to a woman who was at Cedar Sinai Hospital here in Los Angeles, and as the case, you know, as you were reading how how the case played out, there were these subtleties in the interaction that raises questions. They didn't take her seriously. They didn't take the family seriously. Remind ourselves about that study where they talked, where we, um, what was it? It was about where the medical professions per- perceptions of how Black people felt or dealt with pain, that we can yes. handle pain and medication acts differently in our bodies. All of these kinds of ideas must subtly play out on some level, right? Because if you think about it, if you're controlling for socioeconomic status, this is not just a poor woman's issue. 
well, this is what I'm saying is that racism is literally killing black people. What scientists are saying is that there's a process called weathering, which I've heard about before. I I first was introduced to this idea in a book I read about educational achievement of children. It was uh, Mm. Why Children Succeed. Did you read Mm -hmm. that book? Why Children Succeed by Paul Tuff. I know his last name is Tuff. In that, he talks about the achievement gap between kids in lower economic classes than others. And what he says briefly is that the fight or flight response in our brains, the one that deals with stress and anxiety, it's something that activates in your brain and it floods your body with whatever enzymes or whatever that you need to deal with that stress. Well, when you are constantly dealing with stress, that enzyme is always pumping, like those fluids and stuff are always pumping. And that has an effect on your body because those structures are not meant to be constantly assuaging your anxiety. That's not how that system's supposed to work. And it's bad for the body. And so what we have on a biological level is that people of color, poor people are being subjected biologically to stress that other people are not. I remember also reading that black women internally, biologically, are seven to eight years older yes. than a white woman of similar age. Like your insides are just more weathered. Can I, I can, you know what? Yeah, go ahead. Think about that. I mean, what, is, what I think is so interesting about that, because I, I was reading some of that figure as well. And by the way, you were right. The book is called How Children Succeed, Grit, Curiosity, and the Hidden Character, the Hidden Power of Character. It's a great Paul. book. But I think what's interesting about this is how, you know, the last thing you said is that internally Black women are, what, seven years older than white women at the same age, right? Think about the popular culture's notion of Black women, though. Think about how that is actually in contrast to the reality. Black don't crack. We look at we look at Black women and are like, oh, my God, she's ageless. I mean, this is also part of the magical Black woman thing. But think about all of that language then, because then what? there's not going to be supports for us because we're survivors. We survive. Not only do we survive, we thrive and we look younger than you. I think you hit on it. It's not that Black women are perceived to being younger. They're perceived to being ageless. Yes. Right? With something new. There's some they're they're inhuman. They're magical. Just look at this recent Alabama thing that happened with Roy Moore, where ninety-eight percent of the black women came out to vote. And then America's like, Thank you, black women. You saved us again, as if that's what black women are doing out in these streets wearing capes, running around, trying to save everybody. You know, the idea that we don't perceive black women as sort of human, and and that's a problem both within and without of the community, right? Because even even in my head. Yeah. Even in my head, I think about black women in a particular way. And that's because every powerful, magical person in my life growing up was a woman. And whoever that woman was, she took exactly zero shit. All the women in my life, um, yourself included. <laughs> so I have my own idea like within my community about black women. But that is magnified when you put that out in society. That's having real consequences. But what do you do we're about s- that? We're silently dying. We're silently dying because there are first and foremost a popular conception that we we can get through everything and it's an it's a it's an idea that is both stirring to 
the community and outside the community, right? So we we participate in that because we then tell the story of ourselves about triumph and survivalism and all of that stuff. Which I, you know, listen, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna push back on that too much. I get it. I get why we <laughs> listen. I get why we would want that. But I think it's it also wreaks havoc when real dastardly things are happening. Because when you think about, I mean, one of the things I've thought about Erica all weekend, to be honest, and it's just made me sad because people on her official Twitter, they actually had to say that Erica was human. They said, you know, as you're telling this story about Erica, please remember that she was human, that she had, she was a sister, um, a daughter, a niece or what. You know, and I was just thinking to myself, how far off are we culturally that upon the death of a 27-year-old, we have to remind people as they're about to talk about her and create this narrative around who she was and what was going on, that she was human. There is a perception issue with Black women. One, there are some enormous percentage of Americans who don't have any meaningful interaction with Black people. Yes. I, yeah. And I do believe, just in my personal experience, that Black women probably come in contact with white populations and different populations with less frequency. And when they do, it's in really sort of scripted ways. Do you follow what I'm saying here? Unpack it a little bit. I think that Black women and Black female lives are not as personally accessible as Black men's lives. But at the same time, I think Black women and their entire aura and quality is projected into the society as a certain thing. While I think that maybe white populations don't have as much personal access to black women. I think they have a lot of access to stereotypes, stories, and myths about black women. For sure. That don't get checked by personal experience. That's, that's why I think that the difference is just like, I think about the friends that I'm with, the white people that I'm friends with, not that I'm their one black friend. As I am checking off people in my head, I know they don't have any black female friends. I wonder why that is. Um, well, one of the reason why I was initially going to push back on that is because I I recognize historically that black women have been able to enter spaces that black men were not able to because black women were deemed um, less threatening in terms of work, right? So black women were entering households, workspaces. But that's what I was saying in highly scripted roles, right? Exactly. And I, I think part of it, let's be honest, I mean, you're not always accessing us when you even interact with us. At least personally, let me speak for myself. And I, I venture to um, suggest that I think that this is what's happening to a lot of us as well, a lot of other Black women, is that you're not always accessing us emotionally. You're not always going to be able to figure out what is beyond the stereotype because you're not a safe space. You know, when you're accessing us at work, when you're accessing us in professional settings, you're not always also, you're not going to get all of us too. So in some sense, maybe mm-hmm. it's not that we're even going to propagate a stereotype, but you're just not going to be able to penetrate because we want to ma- basically maintain a certain um, professional distance with white folks that we work with. But this is the thing about black women, right? protect ourselves because there's all of these negative assumptions about who we are. I mean, listen, I've seen black, we we talk about smiling and people perceiving the smile negatively, or you're Mm -hmm. trying to smile so you can be disarming and people are like still threatened by you in some ways. So there's just all of these, if you don't smile, and if if you you are smiling, it's like cagey or there are all these sort of perceptions about it. You're manipulative. Yeah. And so- There are all these kinds of like hidden layers that you're bringing into social situations as well as professional settings. 
that really it's damaging. It really is because we're not able, we're just not able to be our true selves. That's a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's related to the idea that you're not really ever going to access us. And then there are these kinds of notions about who we are that creates this note, this, this very sort of positive, affirming, mammy-ish quality about Black women. Meanwhile, you have this horrendous statistics about us dying doing the one thing everybody defines as utterly female, which is childbirth and giving, you know, having babies. Let's, let's also, let me also just pull back and say, it's also dastardly in the U.S. period, actually. The U.S. is one of the few, quote unquote, first world nations where like maternal mortality rate is that high. I mean, access to healthcare. Yeah, that, I mean, so overall, let's just say overall, the U.S. is shit. With, yeah. with maternal mortality. Full stop, actually. Sorry. Stop. And then when you like go in deeper, the numbers are bearing out because of Black women. The numbers are really high because of Black women. Jumping back to something you said earlier, it's particularly tragic when we think about Black women are suffering in this way. And I, I mean, we're sort of banding around what the stereotypes of Black women are. But like for me personally in my life, I... I And I don't know if this is unfair or unearned or too um, imposing or, but like I see as black women as being the cornerstone of the community, grandmothers, mothers, like, and the fact that these people are dying just feels like a direct threat to me, (laughs) to me. Well, it's a direct threat to the community because I mean, one of the, I mean, one of the sad things that I, I read is like, as these mothers die, who do you think are taking up the slack? It's not grandfathers. No, I mean, grandmothers. her kid was born in August of this year. Yeah. And he, she, he's going to grow up without his mom. And that just, I find his grandfather and his grandfather and the whole family has been wounded. I mean, this is a part of it. This is the part of it that is, is tragic to me too, is that, listen, she publicly watched her father die on television. She, and every, I've heard her talk about that. I, I don't, I can't even talk about that. You watch your father die on TV. And then days later, you have people walking around. It wasn't police, but in defense of the cop, you have people walking around with t-shirts that said, I can breathe basically contrasting what her father was saying as he was dying. And then you had the state reward the person for killing her father by keeping him on the job and giving him a raise, essentially letting us know really, which is the very thing that the numbers and the starkness of the numbers were say to us is that you don't matter at all. Like someone can choke your father out in an illegal chokehold, get away with it, have people support the act of it by wearing those t-shirts and then be rewarded for it. In essence, you don't matter at all. And and then we've come full circle because imagine having to live with that knowledge. And the stress of that. The The stress stress of of that. that. Because it's a real stress. That's not something that you get over. That's not something you have a spa day and you feel calmer about. That's something that's always with you. She watched her father die. Oh my God, I can't even. It's it's too much. And then and then and then you know, and then whatever other stressors are in your own personal life, because there are other things that are happening for her personally and for other people. But the reality is when you are living in a space where institutionally you're under threat, institutions are basically set against you. 
you're under threat. And then there are personal crises because your life goes on, right? You might have a bad husband, you might have a bad partner, you might have a bad whatever. But those things are also happening at the same time as these institutions are failing you. But anyway, so let, but you went back and you said, what are we to do about this? I mean, I think what was really startling, I think what's really startling about the Black mortality rate for Black women is that it really it gets at something that it tells us that this is like our systems matter, really. Like our systems matter, our attitudes matter. Because when they're trying to figure out why it's happening and they control for socioeconomic status, then they're also saying, okay, well then, well then if it's not just about rich and poor, and then you go into the racial dimension, then what are some of the racist elements of it? And some of the racist elements are the very things that we're talking about in terms of doctors not taking us seriously, doctors um, actually under- not prescribing, under-prescribing not prescribing. medication because the, can, the prevailing idea is that black people don't experience pain the same way white people do. Exactly. So they're just these like, they're just these like minutia of ideas that you, you sit around with your like, your little prejudices and you're thinking they don't matter. But if you're in a real crisis position, like a medical professional, and you're walking around with those ideas, that matters so much. There's so much education that has to be done about that. But then I was thinking about what you were saying about weathering. I remember, I, I don't remember that term, but I remember, uh, I think it was a doctor in San Francisco doing studies on children saying that we are worried about children, you know, in schools, but they're having the exact same issue, which is that their their bodies were biologically changed because they were in crisis all the time. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to, I don't know what we do about it, but I think what it, what it suggests on some level, I mean, there's obviously some systemic things, you know, as Obamacare is, the conversation goes on, they're talking about the expansion of Medicare and Medicaid, which is supposed to help. You know, because part of it is also making sure that Black women have access to, you know, prenatal care and all of the other things that need to happen. But, I mean, there's also the attitude piece. There's also, we need to, we need, we need to actually examine our interactions with each other. The question is just really too big. Like, what do we do? I think it's very systemic. It's historical. It's interpersonal, social, and economic. There's a lot going on here. I want to end this just by, and it's terrible, right? It's terrible that we have to say these sorts of things, but Erica Garner was a 27-year-old mother with two small children who watched her father die on TV and watched the murderer get away with it and then have people rally for the murderer saying that he was justified. I feel as if in our country lately, in our society, in our culture, there's a lack of compassion about these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe because they come too fast, maybe because the internet moves them so fast and can move fiction just as fast. And I don't know what it is, but when you just break it down, forget about the fact that she was an activist. Forget about the fact. But she became an activist. That's the thing. But that's she became not even, an that's activist not my point. in the midst of grief though, Chris. Not even my point. My point is, is that a young person died, 27 years old, died after the most tragic two years that you can imagine. I don't know. I, I just, I've been try, I've been living with that for the past two days. I've been just living with that, we, uh, giving her her humanity. And like I start off by saying, having to state this so explicitly, it hurts me. Again, I think people want to 
quickly deify Erica Garner because of her activism and because of what she, what, because of what she went through, how she rose above and how she went out in the streets and she did X, Y, and Z. But that's why I just want to roll back, just to lean back a little bit. Her mother lost her daughter. Her, her child died before her. Her young child died. And that's tragic. Yeah, it's rough. Rough, rough, rough. It was a rough, rough start. Rough. It was a rough was, start. This, this is how we're starting the new year. Sorry. <laughs> Black mortality, everyone. Get Ooh. into it. And there it was. There it is. There Sorry. it is, people. Oof. So next topic has to do with the internet. Phones are no longer used for phone calls. It's just used for texting, which is great, right? Like, there's no more time to talk. We are too busy for talking. Now, with texting, we're not even, we're even too busy for words. If you think about the slide from, like, Facebook to Twitter to Instagram, we're conveying, I feel like we're bringing less information with more pictures than ever before. The thing that's become very popular online is that to send gifts back and forth to each other. And what people are finding is that when you want to express like, oh, I want to see how this turns out, you send a gift of Michael Jackson eating popcorn. Or if you want to express that you're really excited about something, there's Oprah screaming, you got a car, you got a car. And the thing is, is that the gifts that are shared are usually black people either being excited, being sad, being overdramatic in some ways, performing. The idea is that this is now, this term being thrown around is digital blackface, which is non-black and non-minority communities, yet again, using black people, black images, black vernacular as a sort of performance to enunciate a feeling or an event or some other thing. I wanted to throw this out to you because I think... I mean, first of all, on its face, this is exhausting because this kind of thing happens all the time. But I wonder, what are your feelings about gifts of Kevin Hart and Oprah and Michael Jackson and, you know, random black neighbor who's being interviewed? Other than the obvious, like obviously this has like terrible stereotypical um, connotations, but maybe it's not that obvious. What do you think about this? When I saw the exploration of this trickle out, like I think earlier this year, I got to admit that I was a little bit dismissive of it because I was like, really? I mean, I was like, really? Another thing I got to think about? I knew you were going to be dismissive of this. I mean, I was, right? I was like, gosh, God. I mean, every time something, you know, I was like, I can't believe this is something I have to think about. And to be honest, I haven't thought that much about it. But however, I will say, though, that when I want to express myself in gifts, I'm much more likely... Now this, I don't know why I was doing it, but I'm much more likely to find a black girl gift, and I'm all, or a person of color gift. Oh, me too. But I never I use I never use white people to express my emotional no, me life. Neither. Me neither. Me neither. But the thing is, that's everybody, white or black. <laughs> no, but I, but but I mean, but but see, but that but it makes sense why we would do it. Like the question I, is. Why are why are white folks using our gifts to express their inner life? Like I'm not looking around going, "Hey, let me find a Taylor Swift gift." I mean, I I feel a certain distance from her. Do you know what I mean? And so, in a strange way, I I find it odd that you would need to do that. But I get it because you know what? We're so translatable, right? I mean, isn't that ele- isn't that everything about black culture? I what think- do you mean by translatable? I mean, the thing that people love about us is also the thing that they hate about us, right? Which is that they believe they can, that we access our emotions easily. 
that we are um, in some sense obvious and not shrouded in mystery, particularly on the performance level, right? That's what we do. We're always out there. Part of the issue too, though, is that these are just like extreme moments, right? They're extreme moments that are like pulled out of decontextualized, right? They have mm-hmm. no context. And so I think that's part of maybe the challenge around this is that these gifts are decontextualized moments strung together. And then you just go, okay, I want to laugh. And this is just a Black person laughing in this really weird and decontextualized way. And I guess that's probably the disturbing element about it is that we are now broken down into chunks. And we've always been broken down into chunks. And now Black people being gifable is just like the natural next step, right? Because it really it fully does what we've always said, which is take our humanity from us. I, I'm most familiar with this when it, when it deals with sexism, when you're talking about sort of like the female body and the female is simply just body parts, right? You're just like, I'm going to represent the female body by just showing your boobs, just showing legs, right? There's no whole person there. Mm-hmm. So the notion of being able to like gif black people is just, it's, it makes logical sense because okay. we've always been just like, this thing, a laugh, a smile, which is like, I mean, essentially, what is that? What were those, what were those shows back? Minstrelly, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. it. Like, the extreme laugh, the extreme reaction. And so GIFs is like the next step to that, I guess, in some ways. I, I want to thank you for introducing the word gifable to the public. <laughs> we're gifable, I right? love that. We're gifable. We're I love gif-able. it. The problem is this. It's the problem... It's the problem it was with minstrel shows. Minstrel shows is the, the thing that people compare it to because they're using the term digital blackface. Oh, I think true. that's, I do think it's a bit dramatic. However, mm-hmm. I think the point is the same. It's the idea that when over drama and this performance is associated with black people, especially at a time when black people are fighting for every other thing in society. Like it doesn't, those two things don't match up. And what's more, it's like the, the distance that you feel from Taylor Swift, the fact that, you know, a white woman doesn't feel that distance from Tiffany Haddish when it comes to expressing emotion is fascinating. But also it speaks to the fact just how decontextualized Black experience is, right? It is just a moment in time. It is just a funny, oh, sassy, oh, no, you didn't. Oh, bye, Felicia. Like, it can, it's cultural appropriation at its worst. I think one of the reasons why it's also um, easy to do is that Black people have always been consumable in the culture. And so... Not not by their choice. But no, not by our choice, but that's what I'm saying. So the idea that you should be able to relate to Tiffany Haddish, it's in Tiffany Haddish's best interest to make sure you you find her relatable in some ways as a white audience. And it's in every Black person's interest if you find us relatable in some way, shape, or that form. That cuts both ways. In terms of mainstream culture. But w- what I'm saying is it does cut both ways, but for Black people, it's even more important. Why? Because you own the, you own the means of production. And so similar to a, a conversation what we had... Similar to a conversation we had many moons ago when we were a, a, a trio and we talked about music. And we talked about um, that in many ways, Black people create these musical genres and industries, that, but they don't own any aspect of it. And so in some sense, we become consumable, right? Our music is consumable and it's produced and replicated and sold all around the world by, 
by more powerful arms, right? Because you have the you have the means of production, you have the resources. Similarly, I think that's what happens. I think black people as entertainment is part of the the cultural experience. And so your job is to craft this experience so that white people can enter it. And a gift is a perfect op- op- opportunity. I know I'm distant from Taylor Swift. I know that. And that's fine for me, right? But a white person would never presume to be distant from Tiffany Haddish because their her job is to make sure I can consume her. Well, that's well, that's white supremacy right there, isn't it? Though exactly, but that's what I'm saying. That's why they can pull up a tw- they can pull up a gif that is that is about a black neighbor that's all over there, right? Far from them in some ways, far from their lived experience, and be like that person's expressing an emotion or a feeling that I want to put out in the world. I don't even necessarily think it's how they feel because you know I think this assumption that a white person using a black person's gift feels that. I don't necessarily, I don't know if that's it because part of blackface is performance, right? So they might be performing a feeling publicly online that they have, they're not even close to at all, but they're simply performing it because isn't that in some sense what online is? It's all performative anyway. You're putting out a profile and you're selling yourself in a certain way. So the gift become a part of that. But there's so many corners of this that, I find problematic. One, the fact that these images exist. Now, I'm not going to go on and be like, oh, well, the only time black people are on screen are to be buffoons. That's ridiculous. I'm also not going to say that there is a dearth of white people on, on film doing the same things. But the fact is that the fact that black people are pushed to the forefront. Before we started, I opened up my phone. I just opened up the GIF window. I didn't even put a search term in there. And the first two GIFs were black people doing something. That is as I'm always saying, instructive. That's instructive about how how black people are performing all the time. Now, should white people be using gifts with black people in them? Um, I mean, I want to say no, because that's easy, but it's also that kind of policing around race becomes exhausting. I, I think for me, I just I just would like people to think about what they're trying to express, why they're choosing this gift. Why do you find this particular gift hilarious? And also just the fact that those gifts are really available. If I search for happy or sad or freaked out or something, you know, there's going to be a lot of black gifts that come up there, far much more than there are black people in proportion to the population or even black people in entertainment. There's something to that that I find particularly disruptive and upsetting. And again, I think it's cultural appropriation. But I wanted to give you an edge case. I'm a child of the 80s. And in the 80s, it was really it was really trendy at the moment to be like, oh, my God, gag me with a spoon, which was referencing a particular subculture in Southern California among shallow, terrible white girls. And everyone was saying that, right, in particular neighborhoods. I said it. Is that cultural appropriation? I don't know. I don't know if it's, if it's cultural appropriation. I think what these things do is take extremes. That was the Valley Girl extreme, right? It's a very extreme performative way of being a teenager that suggested all sorts of things, which is a certain shallowness, a certain, you know what I mean? Like it was, um, it's like a Heather's kind of thing, right? It just encapsulates many things in the moment. And I think that's why it was useful to use the term because you use it and then you're suggesting 10 things all at once. That's the whole idea. 
And so there's a kind of shorthand to that, which I get. I mean, I, I haven't gone as far as seeing this stuff as cultural appropriation. I really haven't. Really? How do you I, not get there immediately? I mean, I get, because because I think what is underlying people's rejection and problems with blackface is again how black people are being useful but not profiting from that usefulness that to some degree feels like the real problem is that here we go black labor blacks are laboring for you again where your sassy friend where your gifable moments where all these things but the reality of our lived experience is that you still feel disconnected enough from us that our deaths don't matter. Our lack of access to things don't matter. But yet here in this moment, you're using us to do the very thing that you say that we lack, which is to extend your humanity. Like so that's how the is that, how is that not cultural appropriation? I don't you know if it's, it. I don't know if it's not cultural appropriation. I, I mean, I don't think the cultural appropriation is the problem with it. I think the problem with it is black people only being useful or as a means to an end. Is that what you're meaning by cultural appropriation? Like, I'm just going to use you and then throw you away? I mean, I think that- I'm going to use some aspect of your culture without taking the time to really understand why I'm choosing these things and then just move on from when I'm done. That's Karen from accounting going to Jamaica for a vacation, coming back in cornrows, and she's like, oh, this is fun. I will say something to you about this. I mean, I've, I've always had a problem with the cultural appropriation argument. I do, because- I have a problem with cultural appropriation as a term because I feel like capitalism is appropriation at all times. When people get permission to culturally appropriate is weird to me. And we've had this discussion when African-Americans appropriate African things and Africans push back on that. And then African-Americans are like, we should be able to do it. And I'm like, well, why is that okay? Part of the issue around cultural appropriation is lack of understanding, lack of understanding the meaning of things, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so there seems to be this pass given to African-Americans to culturally appropriate things that they fully don't understand either. I feel like we need to sort of broaden that definition of cultural appropriation because we need to understand why people are trying it. Like we're giving, we're giving African-Americans a pass for that, but we don't do it for any other cultures when they do it. I don't, that, that always is problematic for me. So in this moment, I don't want to settle on the cultural appropriation. I want to move beyond it and say the issue that you're having is that you're using gifts to express yourself in the very way that you deny us our own expression. Like you want to go, girl, and be perfectly fine using that in every space. But if I use that at work, something is supposed to be done with me, right? That's inappropriate, but yet you're doing it. Like I read an article mm-hmm. about the blackface and it was talking about Megan, right? Megan McCain. Megan McCain. Megan oh, McCain. McCain sort of using digital blackface or using black gifts to actually talk about issues that are detrimental to black people, but then she's using our images to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, that I need to I need that unpacked, and I don't want it to settle on cultural appropriation. I want it to move beyond just that. I want to say I'm talking about the fact that you're using us, and then we're not materially compensated. You know, this this came up when they talked about Vine. That one of the reasons why Vine was so popular was because of black people, and all no. of our imagery on Vine was used, and nobody got any kind of compensation. The only people who got compensation were 
like the creators of it, a couple of savvy white people who turned their vine into something worthwhile. So, so I don't you, know. Are you focused on the economics of I this can, because of its insertion into a media space? I am a bit. That's what it comes down to for me. Because on a more personal, on a more personal, or on a more interpersonal level, would you agree it's cultural appropriation? If you had a white friend who only wore her hair in like typically black styles and used black English vernacular with you, you wouldn't worry about the economics of that because it's interpersonal. Like that is cultural appropriation to you, or is that something else? I mean, it depends, right? I mean, it depends okay. on how that person's like, it's like a difference between an M&M and a vanilla ice, isn't it? Gross. You know, yeah. to some degree, black culture is American culture. Well, absolutely. I mean, the so African-American when you start, culture doesn't exist anywhere else. So yes, that's clear. Popular And black culture is popular culture. It's just like black music is popular music. Mm-hmm. And we talk about cultural, when we talk about cultural appropriation in those moments, it's hard for me. Because we are the thing. Like, so when somebody says you're imitating a black person's voice, well, I'm like, well, black music is music, at least American music. It's uniquely American music. When you frame it like this, I understand what you're saying about the capitalist and the economic aspect of it. Like, that makes more sense to me. You're searching about the insertion into media and culture as not just a cultural artifact, but an economic one. Yes. Right. And it's, you know what I mean? And it's. Yeah, and I do. That's interesting. And and for me, I'm if we come back around, I think it's both. This, I mean, I I personally yeah, think you've opened right. up the idea that it's actually both. It's two problems. And for me, the problem is the economic one because again, mm-hmm. don't use us and then materially punish us for the very thing you're using us for later. Like you're too wild, you're too sassy, but let me use that aspect of you to yeah. express myself. Yeah, you know but what I'm talking with my friends. So this here's a sassy gift from Girls Night. Woo! This is me and my friends. I okay. But this happens with this happens with you guys, right? With gay guys. Wasn't this Funny. huge? But this is a huge part of I mean, that did you guys define it as cultural appropriation or did you really understand it as taking your material? As part of this conversation, I had like a list of things that I was gonna like reference. And the one thing I wanted to talk about was this um conversation that comes up often in gay circles about drag queen and drag culture mm. some cultural appropriation when it as it applies to gender like where does the line between paying homage and um, buffoonery start now the history of drag is very different i think than some of the things that we're talking about right because when you think about the history of drag it's not really women that are being lampooned at all it's the cultural it's the the culture's obsession with gender codes and how men are supposed to behave versus not behave and turning that on its ear i don't think a lot of people are aware of that they just think it's about being pretty and like i'm a girl it's not it's it is it's a sat, it's satire like played out in fabulous wigs and makeup but still i wonder sometimes about the appropriation also, you know, drag culture has appropriated a lot of vernacular from people of color. I mean, if you ever watch Paris is Burning, which a lot of young white gay people do not and don't understand why they're saying the things they're saying or where it comes from or the pedigree, I mean, that kind of bothers me sometimes, I'll be honest. Like, but it comes back to what you're saying. It's about not understanding where things come from. That's what you had said that that's one of the things that bothers you. I think, and I guess now that I'm talking to you, it's one of the things that bother me too. Like, have a care. Think about why you want to select this gif. Think about why, you know, if you are a white person, Oprah shouting at her audience somehow speaks to you in a particular way. Like, why why her versus Taylor Swift or Diane Sawyer or, you know, Ricky Lake 
or any of those other people. Now, again, I don't want to police people's, I don't want to police on this level, but I just want every individual to think about the choices that they're making. This is what we're always saying about media, right? Think about the choices you're making in media and both what you consume and what you express. But can I, I will encourage you to go further is that if it's okay for you to use a GIF to express an emotion or a value in some way, then why is it not okay for that to live in your life? So how do you how do you enter a space where you have no black friends, and then you use a black person's gift to express an emotion, and yet yes. claim and let and yet you claim a distance personally? That's my problem with it. Yeah. My problem is you entering a space where you know you're in a friend's world, all white, privileged, doing what you're doing feeling distance from black people, then needing to express yourself and then using a black gift. What is that disconnect? That's for me, the issue. What's Mm -hmm. that disconnect? How are you comfortable using and performing blackness online, but not letting it inhabit your space, not hiring us, but not thinking about our humanity in your lived life, right? That's what I mean. Like you think that we are able to access and reflect your emotions, but yet when you encounter us, we are inscrutable to you. Yes. Well said. Well said. I can add nothing to that. We will end that there and move on to media recommendations which is something that you've seen, heard, read, experienced that you think other people should see, hear, read, or experience. Uh, What have you been doing lately? So in the spirit of digital blackface... You are going to recommend a a slew of black gifts. No, what I'm trying (laughs) to figure out is, um, what am I doing in this space, right? I'm actually doing some, um, some cultural minding myself, I think. What are you talking about? So I've been watching some gay flicks. So, so I mean, see, what I'm actually doing, this is actually great for me, though. I feel perfectly okay as an African-American woman saying, or as a Jamaican. Stop whatever. apologizing. Just state what you're, state the, the situation. No, 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 no. I wanted to make a claim in a fabulous and powerful way. I'm not apologizing. Okay. okay. It sounded like you were apologizing. No, no, I'm not apologizing at all. I have been really excited to have Black to have gay white male do my emotional labor for me while I was sick. So I've been watching (laughs) gay romantic flicks. No, I've been playing catch up actually. I finally figured out how to get that, um, my Amazon prime thing going on my TV. So I've just been playing catch up and I found out that you can, um, you can rent here TV as like a subscription. So I've been getting my gay flick on. So I've just been rewatching some, some, some favorites. Do you want to recommend uh, anything in particular or just gay films, period? No, I'm going to recommend two. I'm going to recommend my favorite, which is shelter. Absolutely love shelter. What's really great about shelter is shelter is about a young skater kid who is stuck at home, helping his sister raise her son. And he falls in love with his best friend's brother. And what's really great about the film is that it's just, he's really human. The kid is human. The relationship is really human. I like it. Like it becomes a, it becomes a question about whether the two of them can help raise the young child. So there's all these kinds of issues that are like coming up. It's, it feels very like real, 
which I thought was really nice. And it's like, I mean, obviously the two boys are attractive, but it's, it's, it's just a nice story. He's coming out, but not in the traditional way because he's very like homey. Like he's a homey boy. Like, cause he's taking care of his sister's son and he's just, he's not like part of a club scene. There's nothing stereotypical about it. So mm-hmm. I really like it. It's very human. So shelter, I, that gets, that gets me in all the feels. I watch that actually. And then I also, and the other one, the other recommendation is um, Private Romeo. I don't know why I love this. It's actually not that great, I think, but I, I love it. I've never heard of. Never heard you know of these what? movies. You know what? You're gay and you barely watch gay films. I don't How know dare you? you? How dare I'm you? I'm just letting you know. Every, but room, I'm every you film know. I watch is a gay film because I'm in the room. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> it's true. So basically, it's a small group of cadets from rival schools live out Shakespeare's tragedy. So realistically, what it is, is these boys are at a, at a private school and they are supposed to stay on campus the whole weekend, but they're also reading Romeo and Juliet in class. And mm-hmm. so when they leave class, they continue to stay in their character and they speak in the Shakespearean dialect the whole time. And two and- boys die at the end of this movie? No. That's what's cool about it. What's cool about it is they play it out. They play out the death scene, but then they wake up and start kissing. Like, it's cute. Like, it's actually really funny. I don't know what's going on there, but... It's really weird. I mean, because again, remember, they're just having a moment. So I don't know why I like it, but I It's like you're having a moment. Uh (laughs) (laughs) So my two recommendations... You're right. My two recommendations while I was sick, I watched Shelter and Private Romeo. And I love it. Check it out, I think. Um, Please, everyone, check it out and let us know what you think about that because I'm surprised I've never heard of them. I cannot Um, believe you. You know, I can't believe you've never heard of Shelter. Shelter. I know. Now that that I'm thinking about it, I think I remember seeing a poster. (laughs) But Private Romeo, I think, is something you just made up. Okay. Uh, (laughs) You're right. My recommendation comes late. I had been harassed to watch Big Little Lies for a long time. And that was really, really good. And I resisted watching it because I looked at that poster with, you know, the widest actresses you could ever imagine. And I was like, I don't, I, I, I don't know when to sit through a mini series about white women and their problems in some, you know, upper class neighborhood. Like, it's going to be, oh, my husband's cheating with someone and oh, my life is so hard. Uh, and I just like wasn't there for it. There's a share of that, but it's it's better than you think. And my God, was it. Big Little Lies is the story about, yes, these three women in Monterey and just not just the women, but the community of people who live there. The show opens with a murder and you don't know who was killed, why, or who did it. And so that you, you sort of go through and watch all the events in the community leading up to this. It's kind of a murder mystery. It's kind of a drama. It's often comedic. The thing about it, and I don't want to give too much away about it, is that what really struck me is that this is a story about women in our age. Like this, uh, this story really captures where women are in this Me Too, Harvey Weinstein, post-Trump moment. And I don't want to say too much about it other than you should absolutely watch it. The, all the principles are fantastic in it. I never thought I was a Reese Witherspoon fan, but she was phenomenal. Michael Patrick King who um, you know from Sex and the City executive produced this one as well. And let me tell you, it was phenomenal. Big Little Lies. I know I'm, I'm short on details because I think it's just something you have to experience. You're going to go in thinking it's one thing. It comes out being 
really something else. And the last episode for me was really cathartic and moving, very moving. So I would highly recommend that if you haven't seen it. Oh uh, yeah, check it out. That's the show. That was great. I I loved it. Uh, we we promised heavy and we delivered heavy. And also, happy New Year! Happy New Year, everyone! I also enjoyed this show. Is as blackity black black as you could imagine. Yeah, <laughs> black people all the time deal with it. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's gonna be my that's gonna be my 2018 stance. Is that your New Year black resolution? People, I'm rooting for everybody black. Mm. <laughs> is that controversial for you? <laughs> not everybody black. Uh, well, no, no, of course not. Um, not, not um, R. Kelly. <laughs> not R. Kelly. Not Ben Carson, not Amarosa. Oh, we didn't even talk about that. Oh, Amarosa. Do you want to do a Maybe. quick insert? We can toss that later. I don't. No, you know what? I never want to talk about her again. Bye. As, to quote Robin Roberts, bye, Felicia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that cough means that we are out of time. The <laughs> show's <laughs> 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 able to hold it together for a full hour. Take care. Feel better. And everybody else, we'll talk to you soon. Two weeks. Bye. Bye.